Every new year, there's pressure to work out, and it stops people from even starting. But starting is what matters most. So Peloton's made starting easy with up to $600 off Peloton bike purchases and two months free membership. Start moving with the Peloton Bike, Bike Plus, Tread, Row, or Guide, and thousands of classes with instructors ready to support you from day one. Shop Peloton's New Year offers at onepeloton.com slash deals. All access membership separate. Terms apply. The Secret Library Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you via the Secret Library Podcast Patreon. You can check it out and become a supporter at patreon.com slash secretlibrary. This is episode 125 of the Secret Library Podcast. My guest this week is Sarah St. Vincent, who grew up in a rural Pennsylvania community similar to the one in which her first novel, Ways to Hide in Winter, was set. She's worked as a legal fellow at the Center for Democracy and Technology and as a clerk at the International Court of Justice. She's currently a researcher and advocate on national security, surveillance, and domestic law enforcement for Human Rights Watch. She frequently writes on these topics and has been interviewed recently by such outlets as The Washington Post, The Daily Beast, Reuters, NPR, and Bloomberg West. She lives in New York. I was very, very excited to have Sarah on because I think, in general, we have lots of guests on here who have been writing books for many, many years and have created a wonderful wealth of knowledge about that process, which is great and gives great advice. However, it's so refreshing to have someone like Sarah on who's written a beautiful book and also held a day job through the entire process and is writing a book as something she wanted to do very much as a personal project, not necessarily as her main career. So for all of us who have to write alongside another career, I think hearing from Sarah is a wonderful way to balance the knowledge we get on the show from professional writers who've been doing it for ages. I know you're really going to enjoy her insight and her thoughts. She created this book really focusing on and building the characters, which was a great source of insight in our conversation. And I'm just very excited to introduce Sarah St. Vincent to you. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. So I'm very excited to talk about Ways to Hide in Winter. And part of the reason is that... Often you have people who are writing sort of suspense novels, or I, I think your your novel in some ways defies categorization, but there is a suspenseful element to it. And I'm wondering how it is for someone who works on national security as a day job to write a novel that kind of skirts with those topics, because usually it seems like when you work in that arena, you're sort of on lockdown. So I'm wondering what it was like to work that way professionally and then to write a novel that kind of starts hinting at topics that you have more expertise in than probably the average person. That's a great question. And I think part of the answer is that when I started writing the novel, I was deeply interested in national security issues, but I was actually a law student at the time. Uh, and in the early years of working on the novel, I actually was um, addressing women's rights in the UK, uh, working with clients who'd experienced domestic violence or human trafficking. And so I think actually elements of the book have definitely come from my work, but the national security stuff, it's, it's, it actually kind of reflects the, the same interests that led me to working on those things as a day job as well. And I think that it, they, the fact that they're present in the book reflects that they're so much a part of the fabric of life for us here in the United States. 
Uh, I started writing the book in 2011. The Iraq War um, and Afghanistan conflict were, I think, fresher in, in the public mind. Um, as was the torture debate at the time. I think that it, you know, had had largely passed, but as I, as I can attest to someone who was sitting constitutional law classes, the debate was definitely not over. And so the, the book really reflects the ways that, you know, we think of national security issues as kind of overarching and really meant for the Washington elites to sort out, but they really do kind of come down and affect all of our lives, and I think we all are grappling with them in different ways. And so the fact that the character does that as well is meant to be very honest. She has a brother uh, who's serving in the military. Um, her best friend's husband is serving in the military. She has seen news coverage of Abu Ghraib, and she is just genuinely affected by all these things, as I think so many of us are. So how did you come up with Kathleen as a character? Like, how did Kathleen come to you, and how did the idea first come to you? I'm really interested, because the book largely centers around Kathleen and mm-hmm. Danny, who comes in from the outside and, and sort of they get to know each other under mm-hmm. very unusual circumstances. And I'm interested in, in who came first and, and how those characters came alive for you. Kathleen definitely came first. When I started writing this book, I had recently had a pretty disastrous fall while ice skating uh, in law school. I am by no means, I am the opposite of a professional ice skater, which is how this happened. Um, and I <laughs> actually uh, smashed up my left shoulder. I, I broke it both horizontally and vertically um, and had to have surgery to fix it um, and was on some really powerful opioid medications. And so coming out of that, I was just sitting in our, our cafe one day uh, at the school and you know, had this this blank sketchbook in front of me that I'd bought because I had really missed doing the creative writing that I'd done before I, you know, took this detour into the law. Um, And I had this vision come to me of of this young woman standing at the edge of a frozen lake in this threadbare gray coat. It was kind of like the one I had at the time. And I knew she had been terribly injured in some way, in the same way that I had recently been injured. And I started writing that scene, which is, it's now a scene that's a bit further into the first chapter. Um, But I had started with that, and so I started asking myself questions. Well, who is she? Why, where is she? You know, is this the lake that I grew up with at home? Eventually I decided that it was. Um, You know, why why is she there? How did she get injured? Um, You know, what is her backstory? And so I think that's why she is actually the much more present character in the book, even though Danya is perhaps the one who will seem more unusual to many readers. Uh, Kathleen really is the center. Um, she is fictional. She's not me. Um, but she was the vision that came to me first. That's so interesting. Yeah, that scene is very vivid where she kind of takes some steps off onto a frozen lake. It's really striking. Thank and I, I think it's always so interesting because many people feel like they have to have a plot, particularly when you have a suspenseful story like this one. And I'm always interested because I feel like doing what you did, having a character and then saying, why are they here? What's happening? And following the thread can be just as valid a way to find a story. So then you're surprised along with the reader. It's maybe both a, a, a strength and a challenge of, of the <laughs> book. Um, I will say the characters definitely came first. The setting um, is what came second. As I said, it, it, the setting is real. Um, it's in a state park in Pennsylvania that is uh, about... I don't know, somewhere between four and eight miles from, from where I grew up. And so it's one of the places where, you know, in a rural area, there there aren't too many places to go for fun. And so I grew up in a valley and there were state parks on the mountains on either side. And this is one of the ones where we used to go. It was kind of the quieter one, um, fewer Boy Scouts and campers running around. And I just, 
it's also, as I learned much later in life, the site of a former prisoner of war camp uh, for enemy soldiers, enemy officers, actually, uh, who were brought over secretly during World War II and held at this camp on a mountaintop in Pennsylvania in a way that I think many people don't realize. Um, and so I just, I had previously worked in this general store there. I loved the park. I loved the trails. Um, I'm deeply connected to nature. And so the character and the setting came first, this kind of lonely, isolated, wintry, wooded setting. And then, yeah, I had this idea of, well, a mysterious stranger walks into her life, and who is the mysterious stranger? And so I think one reason the book took about six years, really, to, to finalize was that I didn't start with a clear vision of the plot. And I think the good thing about that was that I was able to surprise myself. Um, you know, I kind of outlined each chapter as I wrote it. That's not how I work now. Um, I'm working on a second novel where I really plotted everything from the beginning because I've learned that if you don't plot things first, <laughs> you're going to spend years of your life rewriting and trying to tighten up the plot. Um, so plot is something I had to learn. Uh, but I think that the fact that it really was always a character-centered and, and setting-centered story hopefully still shines through, even though you know I've been relieved to see that the, the plot has been, people find it to be very tightly plotted, and I'm glad. <laughs> um, but it is really a story about people, and I'm, I hope that people find them to be you know believable characters, because I very much wrote them from the heart, as it were. Oh, definitely. I mean, I wonder if in some cases this sort of conundrum of putting the plot first or the characters first in some ways has to do with because was this the first novel you wrote or it it was the first one you had written and submitted to publish? In many ways, it's the first piece of fiction I had written since I was 18. Um, Amazing. I wrote, I wrote poetry uh, in college and I still do. Um, so all of my training was in poetry. I had taken a kind of initial first stab at a different novel when I, um, after law school, went through a brief period of, of unemployment slash waiting for a, a job to come through. And then I just kept coming back to this one, and I did that for years. You know, I would work on it for a year to six months, put it down, start something else, come back to it, put it down again. That's so interesting. And if some of this debate about plot versus character has more to do with writing a first novel rather than not, you know, because when you write oh. your first novel, you're figuring out how you write a novel as much as you're figuring out how you write this novel. And if I think everybody has to learn that process through actually writing a book and you can't kind of hypothetically decide, well, I'm this kind of writer until you write the book. I think that's absolutely right. Um, this book was kind of a DIY MFA for me. Um, I don't have an MFA. I did a master's in East Asian studies and then I when got a law degree, um, not because I didn't want an MFA, but just because that's kind of not how things, not how things shook out. I, I had always had a strong social justice impulse, and so I wound up pursuing um, something else in terms of training. And so this book really was a kind of on-the-ground learning experience. It is the first full-length piece of fiction I've, I've written, and so I really did have to learn plot, frankly, um, especially when your background is primarily in poetry. Poetry can have a plot, but generally that's not what it's about. And so um, I really had to learn how to pace the novel, keep things moving, learn how to work with minor characters to make them kind of do more work for your plot and create interesting subplots, um, not have descriptions get overwhelming, you know, not have things get too flowery. And so it really was a, a kind of long back and forth, not only with myself, of course, but with, you know, the friends who were kind enough to read early versions and say, okay, this is working, this is not. But yes, it was a gigantic learning experience. I, I will definitely say that for it. So if you're willing to, I know everyone is listening, is 
has some sort of project that they're working on at various stages. And given that you were able to take, you know, a work of fiction, not get the MFA, which is, I, I would say, is very little requirement to get published in this day and age. Um, I think mm -hmm. that a lot of people with MFAs obviously do get published, but just as many people without them get published. And mm -hmm. I think people would be interested to know how you undertook this sort of DIY MFA method of figuring out plot and figuring this out. So to make it a more concise question, can you mm -hmm. share a little bit about your process and about how you went from the idea of the book to learning how to structure it in a way that worked to then selling it? Yeah, well, I started out with a vision of the beginning and the end. <laughs> I figured out pretty early what the first scene was going to be. And in fact, the first paragraphs have not changed that much. And I knew what the end would be, even though the ending is a little bit, I don't want to say ambiguous. It's its not a, a strongly kind of conclusive ending. And I knew, I knew that I figured out the main plot points pretty quickly. And then it became about, I think the story just sort of, in a way it almost spawned itself. The characters are not, based on real people, um, but they became alive to me very quickly. And then, um, you know, there are there's at least one full character who's been deleted. Uh, there are definitely elements of the plot that I have taken out or have strengthened. But for me, it was once I set these very, to me, realistic-seeming people in motion, the plot just kind of came together. Um, it did take a lot of feedback from people. You know, some some elements were not working, and there were places I think in early versions where it was dragging, or it got maybe a little bit too diverted into you know symbolic descriptions of the setting or the prison camp or, or what have you. But I think writing a, a kind of character-centered book really worked for a first piece of fiction um, because that's what was clearest to me. I mean, I think for other people, if if the plot is what's clearest to you, then maybe that is where you start. Um, you know, I, I think that I kind of found myself as a writer in this way, and I think that what I write will always be very kind of character-driven. But in a way, having this be my first piece of fiction, I think I was able to just sort of let that shine without realizing I was doing it. Hmm. Um, and then was able, as I said, to get feedback from others on, on what elements of the plot were or weren't working. Although I also developed more of a sense of that for myself over time. Got it. So how did you choose who was reading early drafts and who was giving you feedback? Um, people who were kind enough to read a 300-page book for free. <laughs> um, no, actually, funnily enough, m most of the real first readers of this book were my fellow clerks at the International Court of Justice in The Hague. I was there on a, um, a program where students from certain law schools could go work for these judges. It's, it's the UN's highest court. It resolves disputes between countries, and so I was kind of doing my legal international law human rights career um, and I had this wonderful group of fellow clerks who were all, you know, graduates from law schools around the world. And I had first finished, a, a, you know, the real full first draft of this book in 2013. And I thought, aha, I'm almost done. And then 2014, I kind of polished it off and I sent it off to these people. And I thought, aha, I'm almost done. And there were going to be a couple more years of, of those moments of thinking you're almost done before you really are. Um, but basically, I just, I emailed the, the friends I was working with at the time and other friends I had at the time. I had a partner at the time who was, um, you know, reading each chapter as, as I wrote it and saying, yeah, go, you know, not really substantive feedback, but just encouragement. And I was really lucky that the people I was working with and the people I've shown this to, I mean, on the one hand, most of them are lawyers. And so the book, I think, is hopefully very internally consistent. <laughs> um, but they, I think people don't always realize, you know, many 
lawyers or, or researchers, they're also great writers. They're very clear writers. That's how they get where they are. And so I had some some friends in the field who just were wonderful second readers. One particularly incredible person who read the whole thing in the space of about six hours. She's something of a, a phenom. Um, and so some of my best feedback was from people who weren't, you know, freelance editors or, or although I had a wonderful freelance editor as well, but just, you know, people who love books, who love to read and who had really, really good insights. And I found that they were so often right. I didn't always realize initially that they were right, but over time I almost always did. This is so interesting to me because I think there are many jobs where a kind of parallel career as a writer is particularly favorable. And and interesting that you kind of overlap two of them, which is I find obviously we know many lawyers who end up becoming writers, partly because they have very interesting stories to tell, or at least the shape of interesting stories. But also, um, people with security clearance. I, um, I remember being in the middle of National Novel Writing Month once and going to a meetup with a bunch of people. And I think five people at the table had high level security clearance and were delighted to mm. be writing something that was not you know, hugely weighted down by all of these issues. And <laughs> oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just wondering if you had that experience, if working on things like that have such weight, like social justice, domestic law policy, you know, all of these kinds of things, surveillance, if there is a certain amount of enjoyment that comes from writing fiction and poetry that maybe I think other people can get caught up in this is so hard, but when you have a job that's that weighty, fiction and writing can feel more like an escape and a vacation, possibly. Yeah, sorry, I'm laughing because I, I don't have security clearance. I'm, I'm very much on the, on the other side of the table, but I know what you mean. <laughs> and I think um, I, it, was, it was hard. I don't want to gloss over that fact. Like, it was truly hard, actually, to work on issues that can be distressing no matter how much you get used to them. Um, domestic violence, human trafficking, and then surveillance is, is stressful in its own way. Um, and I think that the reason the reasons I worked on domestic violence, worked on surveillance, and written this book are actually quite closely tied, which is that I am just very driven by a deep discomfort with unaccountable power. Um, and whether that's an abusive partner or whether that's the National Security Agency, <laughs> the motivation is, is fundamentally the same. It's a sense of injustice or unfairness. And that sense of unfairness is a big part of what drives the main character in this book. Um, she's really angry, and she has a right to be. And so I think that the, the work fed into the writing, but it did become psychologically quite difficult. You know, I was getting up at 5 a.m., um, you know, to, to work on the novel, and then going into work and, and working on U.S. surveillance, <laughs> this gigantic, largely unaccountable, very frustrating thing. I mean, I love it, but it is it, it can be kind of a, a tough thing to work on. And then coming home and, and working on this novel again, and the novel does go into some not necessarily graphic but very dark places in terms of the realities of domestic violence. And that was also psychologically very challenging, and particularly with this character, having to really think deeply about why is she doing what she's doing? How is she feeling in this moment? What kinds of memories does she have? She's not me, um, but we all write what we know. And kind of having to psychologically excavate myself, her, um, and work on national security issues at the same time, um, it did get to be a lot. It did get to be a lot. Um, I think the journey was worth it, but I certainly wouldn't say it wasn't difficult. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, the fact that you've 
mentioned writing another book means that it wasn't so awful that you didn't throw it out forever. But I think that is important. And I wonder if there's something about, I think that in some ways, fiction can reach themes and topics and exploration that sometimes nonfiction can't, that there's a way to kind of take people through an emotional experience of the material you're working on. And given your background and professional experience, did you feel that the story was able to communicate a reality of what you're working for that's maybe different than what you could do in writing you've done as a journalist? Yes, absolutely. I think that's that's actually a little less true on the national security side. I think everything mm. the character thinks about, you know, the what used to be called the U.S. war on terror are, are things that I could say and probably have said in my professional life. Um, I think it's certainly the, the domestic violence element um, is really where I felt I could capture truths through fiction in a way that would just be too dark and overwhelming in nonfiction. And I don't mean as a memoir or something kind of about any of my own experiences, but it's a, it's a tough topic for, for anyone who's experienced it, who has seen it, um, you know, watched others go through it. And it's, it's just a, it's a tough thing to contemplate for any of us, even if we don't have a connection to it. And I, I, my hope is that this story lets me convey, again, some of the, the non-physical aspects of domestic violence in a way that is approachable, um, in a way that does lead to maybe some greater understanding, but in a way that's not didactic and also doesn't just leave you with nightmares. Um, and I will say there are some scenes I pulled from the book because I thought that it would eventually be just too much for the reader to watch this character go through so many terrible forms of abuse. Um, but I do hope that through this piece of art, I've been able to capture something that would actually be harder to capture in, in nonfiction if I were to be kind of more clinical and talking about emotional abuse, verbal abuse, financial abuse, sexual abuse, um, all these things, humiliation, all these things that can happen in domestic violence. My hope is that the story conveys that in a way that is effective, but you know, easier to take and also stands on its own as a piece of art. I think this is always a difficult question. I mean, I think of a book like A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara that has a character going through horrific experiences that the reader, you know, some readers have been able to follow through and some haven't. And I think that there is an importance in a story to tell the truth, which is an interesting thing to say with fiction. But I think that's something that you're playing with in this book or working with, I guess is probably a better way to put it that the truth of the character's reality is important and needs to be conveyed effectively. And I think sometimes in order to do so, we have to put dark things in. And so I'm wondering how you took care of yourself or how you got through it, because I know many, I've had many students and many listeners who've talked about getting to a part in a book that's really difficult and dark and is a dark topic, and it would do the book injustice to avoid the darkness. So how did you work with that? It was tough. Um, you know, in a way, I, I think it felt almost like what I understand method acting to be, that you have to take on this character and be, it often felt like I was stripping myself down further and further you know, like to the bone to get at, to really sit and understand what are this character's motivations. I'm actually not sure I, I, I did a great job of taking care of myself during that time, but I think doing in the setting where you're comfortable, um, I, I did a lot of that really uncomfortable writing at home in my comfort zone, um, you know, looking through the window with all my kind of creature comforts around me. But I think it just was almost like meditation 
going to those places where I would kind of sit and say, okay, what is Kathleen's motivation? What has she experienced? What is she going through? How can I convey this? And then also just limiting the amount of, like the blocks of time I was spending on that. You know, in my human rights work, we're trained to, you know, if you had to focus on one of the dark things, do it in short amounts and, and kind of cabin, cabin it in that way. Um, but also I was able to talk to people in my life about about that experience and what that was like um, and about how tough it was sometimes to to revisit or to sort of make up things that were so tough. So I think having an outlet, having a support network really matters. But also I learned that it's okay to do this in small bits. Like don't spend hours of the time delving into the darkest places of the book and, you know, just kind of make sure you have what you need and that you're in an environment that's going to let you do that with whatever kind of quiet and privacy you need. Absolutely. I think that's really good advice because I think people can get caught up with, oh, I said I was going to finish this draft by X date. So that means I have to write X number of scenes in this amount of time and not really calibrating how some are going to take a lot more out of you than others. Mm-hmm. How was the process going back? So you wrote, you know, you've been working on this for many years and then coming to it now it's out in the world how how is it feeling getting to the point where you're going to share it oh it's oh god <laughs> um i was i've been talking to colleagues about this i i go but it oh i don't even know how to put it into words there are moments when it's truly exciting even exhilarating there are moments when it just feels like yeah i'm working on this for seven and a half years it's about time <laughs> um and there are moments when you realize it's a very different kind of exposure um, to be in some ways on a national stage with your work. You know, I, I, I write for Human Rights Watch's website. You know, we have whatever, 3 million Twitter followers, you know, and in a way I'm kind of on a national or global stage, very fortunately, with my professional work. Um, but to have something, even if it's not autobiographical, but to have something that is very personal, that's your artistic work, that in some ways is the thing that means the most to you, you know, the, the thing that if somebody said you can only do one thing with your life, this would be the thing. And to have that product be out there um, for others to consume um, is really intimidating, I think is, is probably the word I would use. So it's, it's both joyous and intimidating. It's a kind of life-changing moment to have your first novel go out there. <laughs> I've been relieved by the positive reviews, um, you know, delighted and also relieved. But it is nerve-wracking, um, actually, in a way that can be a little bit difficult to articulate. So I'm really hopeful that people enjoy the book um, and, and get a lot out of it. And so I'm really just thrilled to see that move forward. At the same time, it's a very different stage of life all of a sudden to have one of your works be out there published on shelves, you know, in libraries and bookstores across the country. That is just a really earth-shaking thing. Yes, I think I think everybody sort of expects you to be universally excited and overjoyed and, and not to think a lot about like, oh, it's a bit weird. Um, it's scary. It's this is one of the hardest things I've ever done. Easily, easily, like not 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 just the writing of the book, but watching it actually go out into the world. Absolutely. It's it's a it's quite a, a bracing <laughs> thing to think about. Definitely. And I think it's also in, in particular, it's really brave when it isn't sort of the main trajectory of your career you're really writing a book because you wanted to write a novel and you wanted to put a novel out there and you had a perfectly successful and and well you know well-regarded well-developed career but this was a separate desire that you took the time to pursue which I think is really impressive thank you I think in many ways that's I don't want to say that's what saved it I don't know if the book was ever in danger but I think there was something very liberating about walking into this with no expectations um 
you know, I wrote this for myself. I wrote this in the hopes that it might someday get published by somebody and read by at least a few people. And I think maybe that's what's liberating about a debut novel, especially when you do have a second career that can feed you, <laughs> is you, you're able to write something that's very true to your own vision and with few outside pressures. And I think that the book has really, I hope that the book has really benefited from that freedom. I think that's important because, you know, among the many things that people who write kind of torture themselves with in terms of am I a real writer or not, there is this pressure of like, if I was a real writer, I wouldn't have any other job and all I would do is write books. And I just don't think that's true. I think if you write any book under any circumstances, if you write at all for any reason, then you're a real writer. Sure. I mean, frankly, I would go mad if this were all I did for eight hours a day. I find that I can write for three hours at a time max. And I actually find it very healthy and balancing and rewarding to have another career that I also really want and really am dedicated to. So I've actually found this works really well for me. It meant that it did take, you know, seven years start to finish to get this thing out the door. Um, but I found that, you know, for me, this is actually a perfectly good way to write. And I don't regret um, having a day job. I think actually that has made the story that much richer. Absolutely. So are you able to share anything about what you're working on now? Or is that, um, is that in the, the vault? Um, well, this will be the first time I've shared it with anybody publicly. But I can say that I started writing a book in 2014, where the main character is a, a father of two in Michigan who is haunted by the long-ago disappearance of his 13-year-old pregnant cousin um, and winds up joining a militia um, that is plotting some pretty terrible things. And I will tell you that it's been surreal and frightening to watch that plot move from implausible almost even to me, like who was thinking about militias in 2014? Who was thinking about, you know, far-right groups potentially engaging in acts of violence in 2014? And all of a sudden, here we are. Right. And I think, and, you know, it's like I've been reading about white supremacist groups. I've, you know, I did all this research back then thinking, you know, I'm going to have to educate people about this because people won't have been thinking about this. And here we are in this terrible place where all of a sudden we are all having to think about it. Um, and so, you know, I finished the, the first draft of that recently, and I'm now wrapping up first round of edits on it. And, you know, I think I may actually have to revisit that in, in light of things that have happened. Um, so it, it's, again, sort of surreal and, and scary and, wow, just really complex to watch, just to, to be writing fiction at this time, especially when you're trying to do things that are somewhat topical. Um, sometimes they're topical in, in ways that you don't expect, and that can really be extremely thought-provoking and complicated. Absolutely. Well, I can certainly tell it's going to be extremely relevant and important for people to read. So I'm both glad that you're working on it and, and sorry that it's turned out to be so relevant. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I'm doing it. And again, it's, it's very character driven. Um, but yeah, I, I too, of course, have a lot of regret that we're all of a sudden, I think, all much more educated about right, kind of violent far right groups and their ideology than we would have like to be. Um, but I also think that, you know, my goal is always to capture something fundamentally human about us. That sounds really pompous, but it's true. Like I, I want to take characters who we don't necessarily know very well at the, at the outset, like they're not kind of people or, or settings that are familiar to us and just get at what really makes them tick without necessarily being judgmental about it. Um, and the second book has, has definitely been a challenge in that respect. Um, but I hope it's a challenge that proves to be worthwhile for everyone um, once that one's out the door as well. Well, we look forward to reading that one as well. And I want to thank, uh, you thank you so much for coming on to talk about this. I, I love 
having people publishing for the first time on because I think it feels a little bit closer. It's like you're, you know, just a little bit ahead versus, you know, people who've been publishing for decades. It, it can feel like, oh, that must, must be nice. But but your story is really inspiring, especially given that you did it with another job and that it's been something you just really wanted to make happen and, and did it. Well, thank you. This has actually been my, literally my first ever interview about this book. So I am so excited that it was with you and I, I hope that your listeners find this interesting and I'm really glad to have spoken with you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm thrilled. Thank you so much for listening to the Secret Library Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. You can keep the conversation going by leaving a comment in the show notes at secretlibrarypodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash secretlibrarypodcast. You can also connect directly with me on Twitter or Instagram where I'm Caro Donahue. That's at C-A-R-O-D-O-N-A-H-U-E. I look forward to chatting with you there. See you next week. Until then, happy writing.